Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examining with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, are these really rights? The right to live my truth. You hear people talking about that today. I have a right to live my truth. How about the right to choose an abortion? How about the right to taxpayer funding of abortion? The government ought to pay for my abortion. How about the right to marry whom I love? Don't I have that right? How about the right to force you to participate in my same-sex marriage ceremony? How about the right to change my sex or gender? Do I have those rights? Are those things really rights? Well, let me ask the question a different way. By what standard are those things really rights? The right to live my truth, the right to have an abortion, the right to have the government pay for it, the right to marry whoever I want to marry, the right to force you to participate in my same-sex ceremony, the right to change my sex, and maybe even have the government pay for that. By what standard are those really rights? Are they rights? Where do rights come from? Are rights made up by human beings? If they are, how can they be rights? Are rights given to you by government? If they're given to you by government, then how can they be rights? It would be whoever is in power gets to decide who gets the right to do what. But none of us really believe the government gives us our rights. The government may secure rights, as the Declaration of Independence declares, but the government doesn't give them. It just prevents other people from taking them from you. For example, you have the right to free speech, a right to you practice your religion. Those are rights. The government can't take them away from you, and neither can anybody else. And if somebody else tries to take them away from you, the government is put in place to secure rights. Now, rights don't come from government. Rights can only come from God. And this is what our Declaration of Independence says. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal and endowed by their government. No, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Rights can only come from God. Otherwise, it's just one person's opinion against another person's opinion. Another person's opinion. You don't have a right to life if Hitler says you don't. If there's no God. You don't have a right to free speech if... Google says you don't if there's no God. You don't have a right to anything if there's no God. Everything is just a matter of opinion. Now, I've used this illustration before. I think it's a good illustration, but I want to expand it a little bit. I've asked you before, how do you know that your quarterback throwing a touchdown is better than your quarterback throwing an interception? How do you know that? Well, the only way you could know that is if you knew the purpose of the game. If there's no purpose of the game, 
then you can't say that your quarterback throwing a touchdown is better than your quarterback throwing an interception. Only when you know the purpose of the game can you say the touchdown is better than the interception. Because you know the purpose is to score more points than the other team. And a touchdown gives you that. An interception does not. Might even take it away. If it's a pick six or it takes a, a scoring opportunity away from you and gives a scoring opportunity to the other team. Now, notice, here's the expansion of the illustration. Notice that the purpose of the game comes from outside the game. In other words, the commissioner and the owner set the rules before the game is ever played. You don't set the, the rules up. The players don't set the rules up while they're playing. There's a source outside the game before the game ever starts that says this is the way the game should be played. These are the rules. This is the purpose. And if you do this, you'll achieve your purpose. If you do the other thing, you won't. If you score touchdowns, you'll achieve your purpose. If you throw interceptions, you won't. So there's got to be a purpose from outside the game for you to know that one particular play is better than another particular play. And the same thing is true in life. The rules of the game of life come from, come from outside the game itself. It comes from outside of life. It comes from the creator. Now, obviously, the, 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 the rules of our football are arbitrary. They're made up. But the rules of life are not arbitrary. They're based on the very nature of God. And so these rules are put into place to achieve a purpose. In fact, let me ask another question. Nobody likes the word submission. Why not? Well, I'm, I've got to give something up if I'm going to submit myself to somebody else. I'd rather have autonomy to do my own thing. Right? But think about the word submission. Submission. To be in a state of submission, according to the, 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 easy for me to say, the dictionary is the state of being obedient, the art of accepting the authority or control of someone else. Uh, we might say that Christianity preaches submission to the will of God. But think about the two words put together, submission. Seems to me you could say that submission is putting yourself or your plans or your will under the mission of another. As Christians, we're saying, it's not my will, it's God's will that I'm trying to adhere to. Jesus said that, obviously, not my will, but your will, Father. We are putting our own wills toward the mission of God's will. We're submitting our wills to the will of God. And this is done in football, too. Obviously, if you have a good team, they're putting themselves in submission to the rules and the game plan put into place by the coach in order to achieve the mission. If, if, if I'm a diva receiver, I'm always claiming I need the ball. And yet that's not what's best for the team because it may be occasions where other players should get the ball rather than me, but I'm complaining all the time. I'm not submitting my will to the will of the team, the overall mission of the team. But if I say, look, I'll do whatever I can to help this team achieve its mission, then I'm submitting my will and making my will the will of the team. 
And in life, that's what we are supposed to do. If there's no standard outside of life, then you can't say you have a right to anything. And if you don't have a right to anything, then what I mentioned before about the right to choose an abortion, the right to taxpayer funding, the right to marry whom I love, the right to live my truth, all those things, they're not really rights. They're just preferences. And if you're going to say they are rights, then you have to say, okay, there's somebody outside of this, this life, some authority, some moral authority outside of this life that I'm obligated to obey and I should submit my will to that being's will. But we don't want to do that. Not only do we don't want to do that, we want to steal rights from that being and make them rights for our own mission rather than his. That's what we want to do. We want to have the best of what we consider both worlds. We want to have rights without obligations. We want to have rights without having to submit our will to God, the right giver. We want to do our own thing and claim that other people have an obligation to obey what our preferences are, even though they're really just preferences, yet we're calling them rights. And so what I want to do in this program is to unpack this idea a little bit further. I want to talk about how we got to this idea that people think that I have the right to live my truth and that everybody else needs to submit to it on one hand. And on the other hand, they say, well, all truth is relative. It's just my truth, not your truth. And what are some practical ways you can respond to people who claim this? And why should you care? You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. Also, check out the Cross Examined YouTube channel. A lot going on there. We're back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek. Hey, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Saturday, Sunday, July 18th, I'll be at Calvary Chapel, Lexington, South Carolina in the morning. Both services talking about how we know the New Testament is telling the truth. And then that night from five to seven, we're going to do a forum and Q&A. We're going to be talking about does Jesus trump your politics on these difficult issues like abortion and LGBTQ issues? Uh, that's at 5 p.m. July 18th, Sunday night from 5 to 7. As I say, as I say plenty of time for Q&A. That's at Calvary Chapel, Lexington, South Carolina. I love Calvary Chapels. We'll be down there, Lord willing, this weekend, July 18th. Then next weekend, up at Anchorage Baptist Temple, Anchorage, Alaska, for the morning service. Hope to see you there. And then the following weekend, uh, Bayside Church in Bradenton, Florida. That's August 1st. And then there's a conference right after that on August 2nd through, I think, August 4th. And then on August 4th, I'll be at uh, Grace Community Church for a Skeptics Night. That's in Sarasota, Florida, our previous couple of podcasts with Chip Bennett. He's the pastor there. So if you're anywhere in South Carolina, Alaska, or Florida, that's going to be quite a change from Alaska to Florida. In the next few weeks, I hope to see you at any of those places uh, and uh, just check our calendar at crossexamine.org. Click on events, Frank Turk calendar. You'll see it there. Today, we're talking about how did we get to this idea and how do we deal with this idea that I get to live my truth and that somehow is a right. 
Well, if you haven't noticed, there's a new religion in America. I used to call it the religion of sex, but it's actually broader than the religion of sex. The new religion in America is meology. It's meology. It's all about me rather than theology. It's a lot more meology than theology. And in, in, in ancient cultures, the way you found your identity was to follow your family. You know, if your dad was a potter, you were a potter. If your dad was a blacksmith, you were a blacksmith, whatever. But in modern culture, it's not follow your family. It's follow your heart. You brook every stream. You, you climb every mountain. You swim every ocean. You just follow your heart, wherever your heart tells you to go. Now, in a, in a future show, we'll point out why that typically is not a good idea because your heart is deceitful and wicked and who can know it. And sometimes your heart will lead you astray, but that's for another program. In fact, I, I get, we, we did a program on that with John Stone Street uh, a few, uh, a couple of months ago where we talked about the one Bible verse, the most important Bible verse. Uh, go back, a uh, let's see, it must've been like April. Just look for the, uh, the show with John Stone Street. We talked about following your heart. Is that a good idea, a bad idea, why? That's what modern culture says. Follow your truth, in other words. Religious culture says, no, follow the rules. Now, you might be surprised to know that's not the Christian culture. The Christian culture is not follow the rules to get your identity. In Christianity, you don't achieve your identity, you receive your identity. So in Christianity, you receive Christ's gift. You're adopted into the family of God. So you don't find your identity by looking inside yourself. You don't find your identity by looking in. You find your identity by looking up and accepting the gift Christ has given you. Now, how do we deal with questions or assertions like, I have the right to live my truth? Okay, before we get to that, let's back up for a second. And I've heard atheists saying out there on the, web, on the, the blogosphere that a lot of times I talk about this statement, there is no truth. And of course, that statement's self-defeating because people will say, uh, or you would say in response to somebody who says there's no truth, you would say, is that true? Is, there, is it true there's no truth? And atheists will say, nobody ever says that. Well, actually, people do say that. But sometimes they don't say it exactly that way, right? They might say all truth is dependent on your perspective. Well, actually, you might ask the person who says that, does that truth depend on your perspective? The truth that all truth depends on your perspective. Because if it does, then how can it really just be true? You're still uttering a truth claim that you think is objective and non-perspectival when you claim that all truth is dependent on your perspective. In other words, you're still assuming an absolute when you're claiming that all truth is relative. Well, that's another way people put it. They say all truth is relative. And then, of course, you ask them, is that a relative truth? In other words, you turn the claim on itself. We've talked about this a lot. It's, it's, uh, it's mentioned quite a bit in the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. We call it the roadrunner tactic in the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, because it re reminds us of Wild E. Coyote, Wild E. Coyote and Roadrunner. You know, Roadrunner is always trying to run away from Wiley Coyote, and he normally stops short of the cliff, and Wiley Coyote goes blowing by him, and he's hanging in midair until he realizes there's no ground to stand on, and he plummets to the valley floor in a heap. That's what reminds us, or that reminds us, of people that utter self-defeating statements. When they say there's no truth, they have no ground to stand on. And all you need to ask them is, is that true? Or all truth is relative. Is that a relative truth? Or all truth depends on your perspective. Does that truth depend on your perspective? This is not word games here. 
This is called logic. This is just applying the law of non-contradiction. So they might not come out right out and say it. There is no truth, although some people will, but they'll say it in different ways. Here is one way they will say it. I have the right to live my truth. As if there is no the truth. It's just my truth. Whatever my reality is, I get to live it. Well, first of all, notice that's a moral claim. So my question would be, by what standard do you think that's true? And as soon as you're appealing to a standard, you're appealing to some absolute or objective standard in order to say it's a right, which means it's not just your truth. It would just be the truth. If it's just your opinion, it's not really a right. Again, it's just a preference. So when they say I have a right to live my truth, here's what you can say to them. Is that the truth or is that just your truth? Let me say that again. When they say or someone says I have the right to live my truth, you ask them, is that the truth or is that just your truth? If it's the truth, then you're claiming that's an objective moral uh, objective moral value that everyone needs to obey. Well, why? By what standard are you saying everyone needs to obey that? And if you get to live your truth, do I get to live my truth? Oh, of course you do. Well, if I do, what if my truth contradicts your truth? How do we adjudicate that? I mean, we both can't live opposing truths in the same community if we're going to interact with one another. In, order, in fact, in order to have a community, community, you have to have unity in order to have a community. You have to have shared values or shared moral truths. If you don't have shared moral truths, you can't have a community. Not everyone can live their own truth. If Hitler says, I was just living my truth. In fact, there's a Babylon B headline on that. <laughs> ancient, or <laughs> say ancient, said something like, uh, new Hitler diary, uh, diary discovered. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it says, Hitler was just claiming to live his truth. Well, if Hitler lives his truth, do the Jews, can the Jews live their truth? Well, no, not if Hitler has control over them. He wants to kill them. So there's got to be some sort of moral standard by which we're going to live in a community. And it can't just be my moral standard or your moral standard. It has to be the moral standard that we all agree on. So you can ask, for people who say, I have the right to live my truth. Is that the truth or just your truth? If it's just your truth, it's just your preference. And none of us are obligated to obey it. If it's the truth, by what standard do you say it's really true? So let me go over that again, because it sounds, it can sound confusing. If someone says, I have the right to live my truth, you can ask them the question I just mentioned, or you can say this, do I have the right to live my truth? And they'll say, of course. And then what you can say to them is, well, then why do you insist I live by your truth? Because you're going to force me to use your pronouns. You're going to force me to support your same-sex wedding. You're going to cancel me if I don't agree with you. Why do you get to live your truth, but I don't get to live my truth? You're trying to insist that I live your truth. Or you might say to them, if they say, of course you have a right to live your truth. You can say to them, well, what if my truth is to live the truth? Or what if my truth it contradicts your truth? What do we do then? 
you see why this is not workable in a community. I mean, it's workable to a certain extent if you live on a desert island alone. Yeah, you can live whatever truth you want. Except even then, if you live by the wrong truth, you could kill yourself, right? If you start drinking battery acid rather than coconut water because you want to live your truth, you're not going to make it. So, but in a community, you've got to have a common unity. You have to agree on certain moral principles in order to have a community. Not everyone can assert their own truth or their own, their own moral standard and expect everybody else to live by theirs if everybody can live by their own truth. Now, that wouldn't be fair. Now, would it? In fact, as soon as I say the word fair, what am I, what am I implying? I, I'm, I'm applying a moral standard. What is fair? What does fair mean? Where does fairness come from? Now, let me be very honest with you here that you could do all this and it might not make any difference in the world to the people you're talking about. You can be as reasonable as possible and point out that the people that are uttering these claims have no ground to stand on. You can point out that they're self-defeating either logically or self-defeating practically, that they're making moral assertions without standards, and they may not change their position at all. But that's, that's, that's not on you. That's on them. Your job is to present the truth in as, a loving, in as loving a way as possible and leave the results to God. You're just to be faithful and leave the results to God. Now, why do you want to share the truth with people? Because you want to love them, and the way you love them is with the truth. You don't love people by withholding the truth. You love them by giving them the truth in as nice a way as possible. This is why the great Thomas Sowell said this. When you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. And many of us tend to do that. We tell people what they want to hear. Why? Because we don't want any blowback from them. It's, it's easier just to give in than to deal with all the blowback we might get, either from them personally or from our woke boss who's going to come down on us if we don't agree with the current politically correct standards in the workplace. I get all that. However, if enough people stand up and say, sorry, we're not going to live by lies, as Rod Dreher puts it in his excellent book, we're not going to live by lies, then eventually this, this kind of politically correct totalitarianism is going to go away. We just need enough people to stand up and say, no, this isn't right. And it's not just, it's, it's, it's wrong, number one. And number two, it's hurting people. You don't help people by affirming them in their false beliefs. And I'll get to more of this right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Hey, dad joke of the day. What do you call someone with no nose and no body? Nobody knows. All right, I'll leave you with that. Back in just a couple of minutes. You know what a lot of people are doing, ladies and gentlemen, when they're claiming that you are obligated to obey my truth? What they're doing is they're actually stealing a standard of morality from God while at the same time claiming God doesn't exist. They're stealing from God while they're arguing against him. And we're going to talk about that a lot in the online course that begins in just a couple of weeks. I think it's August 2nd it begins. Stealing from God, why atheists need God to make their case. Go to our website, crossexamine.org. Click on online courses. You'll see it there. If you join the premium version, 
you'll be with me on, I think, about seven or eight occasions on live Zoom. I think it's seven. I think we have seven Zooms together where we do Q&A live on the Zoom platform. And uh, that uh, people find a lot of value in. I find a lot of value in it because I learn a lot from the students as well. So if you want to be a part of that, sign up for Stealing from God, the premium course, but do it soon because we fill that thing up and we don't we don't go over, we don't add people in because we want to make sure people on the Zooms have enough freedom to ask questions. If you get too many people on the Zooms, you can't do that. So we try and keep it to a reasonable uh, amount of students. So check that out, Stealing from God, beginning in early August. Now, I mentioned before the break that... Uh, you could be as rational, as reasonable as possible. And that's, look, that's your job. Your job is to, is to speak the truth in love and uh, leave the results to God. Uh, be full of grace and truth and leave the results to God. And people may not respond at all. That's okay. You just do what's right and leave the results to God. The problem is, is that many of us don't want Christianity or God to exist. They don't want Christianity to be true. They don't want God to exist. And a lot of times people don't read the Bible, but if they do read the Bible, they find problems with it. They think they find problems with it. But I think if you read it fairly, you'll figure out that we don't just read the Bible. The Bible reads us. What I mean by that is the Bible nails our human nature. Here are some phrases you'll find in the Bible about human nature. We have deceitful and wicked hearts. We suppress suppress the truth to go our own way. We love darkness rather than light. We are not willing to follow God in many occasions. Remember I talked about submission in the first section? We're not willing to submit our wills to God's wills. We want to go on our own mission. We don't want to submit to God's mission. We're not willing. We nullify the word of God by our traditions. We have passions at war within us. We will not tolerate sound doctrine, but with itching ears gather around us teachers to suit our own desires. In other words, we will find people who will tell us what we want to hear. And those people don't really love us. If they loved us, they tell us the truth. Just like a parent must tell his child or her child the truth in order to love them, even if the kid doesn't like it. Again, love does not require approval. Every parent knows this. If you approve of everything your kid wants to do, you're not loving, you're unloving. And our culture believes that love requires approval. If you love me, you'll approve what I do. No. If I love you, I'll approve what you do if it's true and right and good, but I will oppose what you want to do if it isn't because I love you. And I hope you would do the same for me. In fact, you could ask people, if I was going down the wrong road, would you tell me? Would you love me enough to tell me if I was going down the wrong road? No, it's easy to be bad. It's hard to be good. Our natures are bent towards sin. Our natures are bent toward evil. Our natures are bent toward selfishness. So we all understand why people sometimes, many times, don't like the fact that God exists. They don't want God to exist. This is why when you ask the question, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? You may, you may get a blank scare, stare, a hesitation, or actually a no answer. Why? Because they don't want it to be true. They think God is going to get in the way of what they're trying to accomplish. What are they trying to accomplish? Happiness. They're not on a truth quest. They're on a happiness quest. And they just think whatever 
is going to make them happy. God does not want them to do so. Forget God. I don't want to have anything to do with God. And many atheists, by the way, have admitted this. I'm not saying this is true of all atheists. Don't get me wrong. But for example, Nietzsche famously said, <laughs> Nietzsche, the great atheist, who said a lot of really bright things, by the way, but he said this. He said, if one were to prove this God of the Christians to us, we should believe him all the less. What? 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 Wait, wait, wait. Friedrich, are you saying that if somebody could prove Christianity was true, that Christ really rose from the dead, you should believe him all the less? How is that rational? Well, it's not rational. Lawrence Krauss, a contemporary atheist, said, we celebrate there's no God. Celebrate? Why would you celebrate there's no God? Why? Because he wants to be liberated from what he perceives are the restrictive rules that God puts on us. Now, Christopher Hitchens, who, as you know, I had the opportunity to debate a couple of times, called God a cosmic North Korean dictator peering in on our sex lives. Now, Hitchens was great at imagery. If you're an atheist, that's great imagery, right? God is peering down on us, looking down at our sex life, saying, you ought not do this, you ought not do that. Well, of course, what Hitchens doesn't realize, or at least didn't want to realize, is the fact that God's moral values or moral commands on us are like guardrails on a highway. They're there for our protection, not to restrict us unnecessarily from, fl from flourishing, but to put the necessary restrictions in place in order to enable us to flourish. Just like you can get anywhere you want on the American highway system, if you stay between the lines and obey the rules, those restrictions are there to allow you to flourish as you drive. They're not there to prevent your flourishing. They're there to ensure your flourishing. Those rules are in place to help you enjoy the freedom you have to drive, not to take them away unnecessarily. If you don't live by necessary restrictions, you won't live. You'll be dead pretty soon. The restrictions are there for our benefit. Not for God's benefit. God doesn't get anything of us obeying the rules. God's an infinite being. You can't hurt him by cursing him or disobeying him. You can't help him by obeying him. Other than you can help him achieve what he wants achieved here on the earth. I'm talking about his being. You can't hurt him by cursing at him. You can't add to him by praising him. He's an infinite being. We're the ones that get all the benefit from worship and all the detriment from disobeying God. And that's why he's saying, follow me, because it's going to be best for you. So Nagel, Thomas Nagel, there's another atheist from NYU, brilliant guy, wrote a book that many Darwinists didn't like back in 2011. Uh, the book was called Mind and Cosmos. Uh, the subtitle of the book, I'm paraphrasing it, I don't have it exactly right, but it went something like this. Uh, how, why the neo-Darwinian materialistic view of the, of the world is almost certainly false. <laughs> and he was right. As an atheist, he's going, look, Darwinism doesn't appear to be true. And uh, certainly materialism doesn't appear to be true. And uh, a lot of atheists were upset with, with <laughs> Nagel for saying that. Because he realized, look, you can't explain consciousness by materialism. You can't explain reason by materialism can't explain these things if we're just molecules in motion. There's got to be something beyond it. Now, he didn't arrive at God for this, but he's admitting that atheism or materialistic atheism can't explain it. There's got to be something immaterial out there that explains all this. Anyway, Nagel said that he has a cosmic authority problem. 
That's why he doesn't believe in God. He said it's not that, that uh, how did he put it? He said something like, uh, he said, I don't want there to be a God. And he said, one of the most troubling things to me is some of the most intelligent people I know are religious believers. He doesn't want there to be a God. He said, I don't want the world to be that way. That way, meaning there's a God. And he said, I have a cosmic authority problem. And he said, I also think people like Christopher Hitchens, he was alive when he wrote this, and Richard Dawkins have the same cosmic authority problem. They're revolting against God. It's not about the evidence for God's existence. It's about their resistance to the evidence for God. Their resistance to God, not his existence. They're resisting God. It's not about evidence. Perhaps one of the most direct admissions of this came from Aldous Huxley, who wrote Ends in Means probably 80 years ago. He was an atheist who said this. He said, I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning and consequently assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. And then he went on to say, we are involved in a erotic revolt. An erotic revolt. I mean, Huxley's being just brutally honest here. The reason he doesn't believe in God or the reason that he wanted there to be no God and he wanted the, the, the universe and life to be meaningless is because he wanted sexual freedom. And God got in the way of that. Well, here's the problem. If there is no God and life is really meaningless, then you don't have a right to live your truth. I don't have a right to live my truth. There are no rights to anything. Everything is just a matter of opinion if there's no God. Of course, you would expect the Bible to talk about this. It does. <laughs> psalm 1, the very first psalm, the first five verses say this. Check this out. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. In other words, us down here on earth are going, God, you're putting chains on us. You're putting shackles on us. You're restricting us unnecessarily. We're going to throw these off. What does the psalmist say? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terror, terrifies them in his wrath, unquote. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's not going to be rebels laughing. God metaphorically is laughing at them going, please, you're going you're, you're gonna to rebel against, I'm giving you the freedom to do so because you got to have freedom to love, but you're going to rebel against the God of the universe. And I put these moral commands, which are derived from my nature in place for your protection and flourishing, and you don't want them? Because you want to live by your own rules, your own truth? Well, if you're going to try and live by your own rules and your own truth, good luck, as Calvin said. <laughs> no, you're going to live by your own rules and your own truth. 
Don't impose that truth on anybody else. And, but that's exactly what you're trying to do. You're on one hand trying to say there are no objective moral obligations. But on the other hand, here's your objective moral obligation. You have to obey my truth. Really? This doesn't make sense, ladies and gentlemen. And I realize a lot of people won't be persuaded by what I'm saying here. I get that. We have free will. Go our own way. Maybe you think I'm saying something's wrong. It's illogical. Well, Write me, hello at crossexamine.org, and let me know. I'll cover it in another, another show. In the meantime, I'm Frank Turek, back in two. Every Thursday night, ladies and gentlemen, we try and do a live stream. I say try and do because there are a few Thursday nights we don't get to it if I'm out of town. But it's a live stream called Hope One where I give a intro topic. I talk about a topic for 15 or 20 minutes. And then we take your live questions on camera because the great Jorge Gill has figured out how to bring you live on our live streams on camera if you have Skype. So on Thursday nights at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, join us on our YouTube channel or on our website, crossexamine.org or on our Facebook page. I think it might even stream on Instagram, our Instagram page. And if you wanna be a part of the show, uh, just uh, follow the cues that we'll give you at the beginning of the show so you can join us live on that live stream to ask questions and interact a little bit. And the reason I'm bringing that up here is because we did a show a couple of weeks ago called Questions to Ask Your Woke Boss. Questions to Ask Your Woke Boss. I won't get through all of the questions here in this segment, but I want to mention some of those because we're talking about how you deal with people who claim that you have to live by my truth. Now, what I'm about to tell you here, some of these questions, some of these questions might get you fired. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. I, you know, it doesn't cost me anything to, to tell you uh, things you might want to try with your HR director or your boss if you're in an environment that is politically correct and uh, woke and all of these terms that are now being used to describe the leftist, oppressive, totalitarian culture that is being imposed on people in corporate America. However, if people start standing up against it, then eventually this is going to go away. But if we're silent, it's only going to get worse. And again, we can't be silent because people are being hurt by these woke policies. And it's, it's it, people that are intended to be helped by it are being hurt by it. And I'll explain as we go here. Here's some questions maybe you can ask of your HR director, for example. Maybe you, you, you email him, you say, hey, can I ask you some questions and get to get some clarification on our company policies? Well, they're gonna have to say, well, of course. Yeah, you need some clarification, go. Okay, here's, here's the question that maybe you could, you could start with. I'm not questioning anyone's intentions. I think everyone's intentions are good with these policies. I'm just concerned that there may be some unforeseen and unintended consequences of some of the policies that I'm seeing now. And so I want to ask some questions about tolerance, about inclusion, about diversity. And here's my first question. Does this company value tolerance? They're probably going to have to say yes. Well, of course. Okay, next question. What does tolerance mean? How do you define it? And do you tolerate opposing viewpoints to company policy, as long as it doesn't interfere with work productivity? Okay. What does inclusion mean? What does that word mean? Who? What does that mean we're including who? Well, we include people who disagree with certain positions that the company may take. Are we that inclusive? 
if they're good employees overall. What does diversity mean? Now, ladies and gentlemen, for me, the kind of diversity that's being promoted by corporate America is not the kind of diversity that's helpful in the workplace necessarily. I mean, it may be helpful, but it, it doesn't really add anything to work to the workplace. In other words, to, to say that uh, we have so many people of a certain ethnic group in our company or so, or so many people who have a certain sexual preference in our company, I'm not sure how that helps work pay, workplace productivity. That kind of diversity doesn't really affect work workplace productivity. The kind of diversity that improves workplace productivity is not diversity of sexual preference or diversity of skin color. The kind of diversity that helps a company or an organization of any kind is diversity of talent. Diversity of talent, irrespective of their ethnicity or their sexual preference. This is why it was ludicrous for United Airlines a few months ago, we, we talked about this on the podcast, to say, well, our cockpits are going to be 50% diverse, meaning sexual preference diversity and race diversity. Now, why, why is that helpful to fly in an airplane? I mean, are you going to be, are, are you going to have a better chance of having a safe flight if a guy has a different sexual preference than somebody else or has a different skin color than some? No, that's not the point. The point is, can the individual fly the plane with, with, in, in a safe manner? That's the issue. Those are the things you got to be emphasizing. What kind of flying skills and judgment skills does this guy or gal have? We shouldn't be emphasizing what skin color or sexual preference they have. Yet when you do that, immediately your quality is going to go down. Why? Because you, all other things being equal, are going to, well, I shouldn't say all the things being equal, because what's going to happen is you're going to lower your standards. This happens inevitably. You're going to lower your standings, standards to get artificial diversity that doesn't help the workplace goal in order to have this workplace diversity. I've seen it in the military. I was in the military. I've seen this happen. If we all have to do this obstacle course in order to ensure that we're a good naval officer. Why do the women have to go through an easier obstacle course? Or if we have to be combat ready by going through this particular kind of training, why is there a lower standard for women doing that? Why? We talked about this in a previous podcast too, but I'm, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit trail here. So ask the questions. What does tolerance mean? What does inclusion mean? What does diversity mean? They're going to have a lot of trouble defining those without contradicting themselves. How about this question? Do we all have to have the same political, religious, or moral beliefs to work here? Or does the company think it's right to force employees to violate their conscience? Or why does the company think it has the medical expertise to order employees to encourage people to stay in their state of gender dysphoria? Is the company aware that those with gender dysphoria have a suicide rate 19 times higher than the general public after the surgery? How does affirming this condition help these people? I mean, these are direct questions, ladies and gentlemen, but this is what I mean. We're not helping people by affirming them in a false belief. We are hurting them. We are encouraging them to go down a wrong ro road. They don't need surgery. They need psychiatry. They need help. They need medical assistance. 
And we're trying to say, oh, no, it's diversity, tolerance and inclusion or tolerance, inclusion and diversity to say, hey, this is a good thing. Let's cheer you on to go down a road with a suicide rate 19, 19 times higher than the general public. I'm sorry if you're not liking any of this. I'm just trying to tell you the truth, okay? If something I'm saying here is wrong, tell me. Hello at crossexamine.org. I'm just trying to point out that we have to stand for the truth in order to love people. We don't love people by affirming them to go down a road that has such a negative outcome. No more than we would help somebody who thought they had anorexia, who thought they were overweight when they, they had anorexia by claiming, you know, you really are overweight. Let's give you a liposuction. No, we would never do that. But that's essentially what we're doing with the, the people who suffer from gender dysphoria. We're affirming them to go down a road that's harmful to them. Another question you might ask, why are we talking about sex in the workplace? What does it have to do with workplace productivity? Another question, why is the company forcing people to take firm positions on controversial political and moral issues that have nothing to do with work productivity? Look, let me make something clear, ladies and gentlemen, and to my employer, I treat everyone with respect, regardless of any political or moral disagreements we may have. I don't want to try to force people to act in ways contrary to their conscience, and I only ask the same respect in return. In fact, you might want to say that in the beginning. I, I will treat everybody with respect, regardless of what they believe, regardless of any political or moral disagreements we may have. And I don't want to force them to act in ways contrary to their conscience, and I'm only asking the same respect in return. Don't try and force me to live your truth. Don't try and force me to live according to what you say is your truth, yet you're trying to impose it on me, and you are therefore, if you believe in individual truths at all, you're preventing me from living my truth. In reality, I just want everybody to live by the truth. Now, I agree that you might not agree with what I think the truth is. Okay, fine. But let's not try and impose that on one another. Especially since it has nothing to do with whether or not we can make widgets or whether or not we can do the service that we do. If we treat everybody with respect, regardless of their politics, regardless of their stand on certain controversial moral issues, regardless of what they think about certain sexual activity, if we treat everybody with respect, that should be the only thing that you require of any employee. So, hopefully, questions like these would be helpful to you. And again, you can go back and watch, it's on our YouTube channel, the show titled Questions to Ask Your Woke Boss from a couple of weeks ago. And uh, just about every Thursday, this coming Thursday, we won't have one because, uh, well, maybe we will. Maybe back from Alaska. No, I won't. I won't. We'll be in Alaska. Can't do it in Alaska. But the next week, hopefully we will uh, for the Hope One show. Thursday nights, 730 Eastern time. You know, one brilliant thing Nietzsche said was this. He said, a man's spirit is determined by how much truth he can tolerate. Think about that. A man's spirit is determined by how much truth he can tolerate. He went on to say that many of us can't tolerate much truth. We need to have it diffused. We need to have it sweetened. We need to have it muted. How much truth can we handle, ladies and gentlemen? 
Well, we're supposed to preach the truth and leave the results to God. But we don't have to do it in an ugly way, quite obviously. We don't want to do it in an ugly way. Jesus had an offensive message to people, but he didn't add offense to it. He spoke the truth to people, and he seasoned it with grace, quite obviously. And that can be very hard to do. Jesus was obviously the best at it. We have to try and emulate that. Speak the truth, but speak the truth in a way that doesn't add offense to the truth you're trying to speak. So that's my truth, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, I hope it's the truth. And if you don't think so, email me at hello at crossexamined.org. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, this Sunday at Calvary Chapel, Lexington, South Carolina, I'll be at both morning services and the evening five to seven special service does Jesus trump your politics? We'll be talking about some of these issues we talked about today. Hope to see you there. See you next week. God bless.